Let's, uh, let's pray, um, see what God does with this time for his glory. Um, God, we just thank you for this chance to worship you. Thank you for this chance to sing to you, um, to gather in your name, and to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, God, I pray for our time as we just open your word. Lord, may you speak a better word than, than, uh, than I can prepare. Um, God, I just think of um, some of the older preachers talking about this task and um, just referring to themselves as the worm. Um, and it's and you are the one who gets glory, not the worm, Lord. So, um, God, I pray that you would be glorified in this, God, that you would, that you would move. Um, God, I pray that we would be the people who are transformed in our seats um, by the very word of God and by the power of his spirit working in us. Um, yeah, Lord, just do what we can't do. Amen. All right, so welcome to Mosaic. My name's Shannon, one of the pastors here. I'm glad to have you guys out. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John called God in Our Neighborhood. And we call it that because this is a series in which we see God leaving heaven, leaving his neighborhood to come to our neighborhood and slum it with us. But we also see this both example and this call that we would be the people who are likewise entering into the lives of our neighbors and who are going to them and who are engaging them and who are loving as Christ has loved us and serving as Christ has, has served us. So the passage we're looking at today, we're, we're in the latter third of uh, John chapter 1. And this is really ground zero of the movement. So everything else that's come before this has been like the precursors and the prologue and whatnot to the ministry of Jesus. So, so first we had this kind of poetic section at the beginning of the book where we've got uh, the incarnation, you know, God becoming a man and, and some of that theology and, and uh, John's writing in a way that kind of engage, engages the Greco-Roman culture and speaks in philosophical language and all of that. But we basically get the incarnation. And then the scene that we looked at last week, we see... Um, John the Baptist come on the scene, and he's this wild, crazy prophet. You know, he's wearing like the the camel hair suit, and um, like he's literally dipping his his grasshoppers in honey, and that's what he eats. And you know, he's just this wild guy, and he's got this wild message that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, kind of the the culmination of what we saw last week is that that John calls him out, like, "Behold, the Lamb of God! Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And then, and then the Holy Spirit. Like John's going into, like, well, how do you even know and whatnot? It's because the Holy Spirit has descended on Jesus like a dove to both empower his ministry and to mark his ministry that he is the one. He is the Messiah. Um, he is this long-awaited king in the line of King David. That's what Messiah means. It means anointed one. So he is, he is the promised king who's going to make everything right. But we also see in this passage that, that he's more than um, just a human king. That he is the son of God, very God of very God, co-equal with the father. And he's the lamb of God, um, the one who dies, the one who lays down his life to take away the sins of the world. That, that our sin might be covered, that our sin might be toned for, that the stain on our souls might be removed. So all of that's in the prologue. But the public ministry of Jesus has not yet begun. And that's what happens here. Um, so today is the day that he calls his first disciples and that men and women for the first time, they begin to follow him for the purpose of becoming like him. And that's just one of the themes that we're going to draw out. And that's one of the ways that we talk about discipleship, that, that a disciple is a person who follows Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him. But these are the early days, again, where he's wandering in the countryside with a bunch of teenagers. Some of these were the teenagers that were crazy enough to follow John into the desert, and now they're, they're following Jesus around the countryside. 
And so this passage, it's all about following him. It's all about discipleship. So we can ask simple questions like, you know, what can we learn about discipleship? How, how does it work? What is the process? What's effective? How did Jesus do it? And all of that is good. Um, but I really want us to get to more practical and more personal questions. I want us to be asking questions like, how will we follow Jesus? You know, are we going to be the people who truly follow Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him? You know, are we the people who are coming to God and saying, I want you to transform me. I want you to change me from the inside out. I know that I come with my desires, but I want my desires to match your desires. I know I, I, I come with, with my preferences and my goals and, and my own kind of internally established purposes. But man, I want you to change those things. I want to lay those things before you. I want your purposes to be my purposes, your desires to be my desires, your love, your life, your service to be my life and my love and my service. Amen? So that's what we're hoping for in this passage. We're hoping to see a discipleship that transforms us and that increasingly through us transforms everybody around us for God's glory. And as we aspire to that, I just want to recognize and be honest about the fact that that's, that's just not what we tend to do. You know, because we're a part of this culture for whom Christian truths are old. They're not new and they're not news. And, and we, we just settle into these habits, um, just truly settling for less than being transformed by God for the glory of God, Okay. So I just want to remind us of that. I want to call us back to our purpose because we can settle for some other concept of the Christian faith that costs less and transforms less. But I just want to be honest that it's also going to deliver a lot less joy because so much of what God made us for and how he designed us to come alive is as we are conformed to his image, and as we partner with him in transforming this world. Amen? So that's what we're getting after. That's, that's where our hope is. Again, that we would increasingly be the people who truly follow Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him. So we're in John chapter 1, verses 35 um, to 51, talking about a discipleship that transforms us and everyone around us. We're going to begin by simply reading the text. We're going to go all the way through it once real quick, and then I want to just jump back into it and kind of pull out these snippets and phrases that, uh, that John just pounds and skillfully weaves again and again into the narrative. These emphasis, emphases that he kind of raises to the surface, and these are all about training and treasure and transparency. So first, we'll just read the story, um, John chapter 1, starting with verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? Kind of like, like hey guys, why are you stalking me? Like, you know, you're being a little bit creepy, you're in my space, what's, what's, what's going on? They said, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like, can we come out? 
can, can we hang out? Maybe a sleepover? Maybe we, maybe we just hang out for the day? The, the thing is, like, John's been hyping you up, and he's been saying somebody's going to come, and he says you finally came. And so we don't, like, like, John's cool with it, and we're cool with the fact that we're not following John anymore. We're following you. We're coming after you. But we don't know anything about you other than the little bit that John's told us about you. We don't even know where you're staying, but wherever you're staying, that's where we're going to stay. Because we want to follow you. We want to become like you. That's, that's what we're all about. And so Jesus replies, come. And you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying. And spent the day with him. Which is just the beginning of this extraordinarily time-intensive relationship. They said it was about the tenth hour. That means four in the afternoon. Depending on your commentator, they argue about that stuff. But I say it means four in the afternoon. Um, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which being translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and he told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is a a term that that Jesus used to describe himself out of a prophecy in Daniel. So, So there's the overview. That's the story, the calling of Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, maybe another guy that doesn't get named in the story. Um, Just ordinary men who are following in Jesus, and through the transformation that comes in their following of Jesus, they see just an extraordinary impact through their lives and their ministries. So that said, I just want to pull out three themes that are each built on words and phrases that John emphasizes in the text. And the first theme is training. Um, And we find it in the phrase, follow me. Um, Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And this is the only disciple in this story that Jesus explicitly calls and says, follow me. Like the other guys, they're like already following, you know, kind of at that beginning of the story where, you know, Jesus just turns around and suddenly, you know, there's guys tailing him. He's got this entourage and it's a little creepy and, and that sort of thing. But Um, If we read through the other Gospels, one of the things that we see is, um, like if you read through all the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like each Gospel gives different snippets of the account. 
So, um, you know, in any one of these Gospels, depending on, you know, whether it's one of the shorter ones or the longer ones and whatnot, you can read this thing or listen to it in an audiobook in just a little over an hour, maybe two for the longer ones and that sort of thing. So every one of these Gospels, they're taking the entire life and ministry of Jesus and they're like condensing it down. Um, like, um, there was, a, there was a, a class I took in seminary and they were talking about like, how do you, um, how do you sort out that like in this account... Um, you know, Jesus says it this way, and in this account, he says it that way and whatnot. And it's like, well, well, both of these accounts, you know, you're talking about like a multi-hour conversation and we're getting the, you know, we're getting like the one minute, the 30 second version. So yeah, it's, there's, there's probably a little bit of both. Like, um, for those of you who like actually grew up in the eighties and remember audio cassettes, like the title of the, the article that we were reading about it, it was live jive or, or memorex. So Memorax was like an audio tape, like everyone under 40 is totally lost at this point. But at any rate, different Gospels, they emphasize different aspects. And um, what, we see in, um, what we see in all the other Gospels is that they, they give a little bit more time to this scene, this calling of the first disciples, and give a little bit more of what Jesus says. So in here, we read his words to Philip, follow me. Okay, but in the other Gospels, we read his words to... Or, to Andrew and to Peter and to James and to John and all these different ones, saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will transform you from the inside out and I will transform you into the sort of person who can join me in this mission that I'm on. You know, he's like, all of you guys, you're, you're great at fishing for fish. Like, you've, you've figured out the perseverance and the tenacity. And, you know, you've got to pull the all-nighters. And you got to, it's, it's hard work. It's like muscular work. It's strenuous work. It's stinky work, whatever. You know, you know what it is to go hard in order to catch fish. And what I want you to understand is that from here on in, I'm going to teach you how to go hard to catch men. To welcome men, women, and children into the kingdom of God. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I'm going to transform you from the inside out. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. And when they left their nets and followed him, they understood that they were going into training. Um, They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. They said, hey, we're going to follow you around for the next three years. We're going to glean everything that we can from you so that we can do what you do, so we can be more of who you are so that we can join you in this mission and in this work. Um, they knew it was going to be difficult. They knew it was going to be costly. They knew it would be time-consuming. The very first day, they said, you know, where are you staying? And again, they ask, where are you staying? Because they understand that wherever Jesus is staying, that's where they're staying. Where Jesus lives, they're going to live. Where, you know, they're going to be doing life 24-7 every day of the week. And so... This training, um, there's certain seasons and there's certain, um, there's certain situations in our culture where we like submit ourselves to training. Um, you know, like uh, a year ago, your son headed off to the Marines, you know, and you go to boot camp and it's this crazy, intense training, you know, and some of our kids like they're in sports and, you know, the things that you'll give for a coach because, you know, the coach is just a few years older and he has a little bit of power and in him there's this hope that I might get to, you know, see the field or maybe even be able to play at the next level or whatever. You know, so when he barks something at me, I go do it. Um, you know, likewise, like in the academic world, um, when we want to get a certain degree or we want to enter a certain field, 
Um, we're willing to do crazy stuff. Like we got a few um, like medical residents in the church and the hazing that they go through, and maybe you can't call it that, but like the hours, you know, hey, you're, you're going to pull an all-nighter. You're going to work 24 hours today, and then you're going to be on call tomorrow, and then we might give you another 24 hours again. You know, they show up for church, and they fall asleep during the sermons, and I tell them, you know, how cute and endearing that is that they showed up, and it's great. Um, it's, it's just bizarre, like, the level, the level of difficulty that we'll joyfully enter into, you know, to accomplish our goals, the, the kind of training that we subject ourselves to. Okay, and, and what we see in this passage and what we see in the very nature of discipleship is that it involves training. Um, like, it's going to be hard. Uh, one of the things that I really wrestle with and I've talked to some of my like, pastor buddies about is, as our culture shifts, how does our discipleship process shift? Because if you look at some of our older saints, one of the things that they understand about discipleship is it's going to be super hard. Uh, at times, it's just going to feel like you got punched in the face again and again and again. You're going to fall to the ground, and you're going to get up, okay? And like with the, the younger crowd, as our culture shifted a little bit, it's like um, there's, a, there's maybe a greater optimism. There's a greater hope that life will be relatively easy and that I'll be happy more often and that, you know, all of these things. And so when we, when we enter into spiritual combat, and we join with God in seeking to save the lost, and we genuinely have an enemy, and he punches us in the face, sometimes there's like a surprise, like, man, I didn't know it was going to be like that. I didn't know it was going to be hard. But again, I think the expectations that these guys are coming in with, and the expectations that we need, are to recognize that, that following Jesus is going to be difficult, that we're going to be in a spiritual battle, and that we're going to need to go into intense training to be about that. Now, it's, it doesn't involve push-ups. It doesn't involve, like, running wind sprints and whatnot. You know, what does it involve? Um, I think for these guys that are following Jesus, I think um, they were expecting to be living out Deuteronomy 6. Um, you know, where Moses says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You know, for the next three years, that's a lot of what these guys were going to do. They were, Jesus was going to be speaking the word of God into them, and Jesus was going to be modeling, here's how, you, here's how you live this out. Here's how you breathe life into these principles, and, and how, you, how you follow the Holy Spirit into this world, and into the neighborhoods, and all of these things. So that's what they were about. They knew it was, they knew it was going to be crazy, they knew it was going to be hard, um, one of the things I just want to highlight is just to recognize that there's like continuity and there's discontinuity. Like there's so much about what's normative in discipleship in scripture that we should embrace as normative for us. And there's some things that are going to be different. Um, I totally understand that, that few of us, maybe none of us, are going to wake up tomorrow morning and like quit our job and say, okay, well, I'm going on a three-year camping trip with Jesus, you know, which, which, ways, which way did he go? Let's, let's go do this. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's probably great. Honestly, I love that God has placed each of us in unique circumstances with unique jobs and careers and neighborhoods and networks of people that we can, that we can love and we can impact and we can influence for his glory. But again, for every single one of us, I want us to ask the question, are we the people who truly desire to follow Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him?
You know, are we the people who, who go to Jesus with all the zeal of a little leaguer who's meeting their coach for the first time and say, hey, hey, coach, what do you want me to do? You know, where are we going? What's next? Can I play second base? Can I play shortstop? You want me in the outfield? I, I don't care. I just, I, I just want to do it. Let's go. All right? That's, that's the picture that we get in Scripture. And I pray that that's who we are. So kind of the first principle that we're talking about is, is training. And we see it in these words like follow me and, and follow me for the purpose of becoming like me. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is treasure. And I think we see this in the repetition of words like find and found and just the way that the disciples talk about Jesus. Um, verse 36, John saw Jesus passing by and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 41, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You know, this is like simple. Like you could totally preach the whole thing out of that half verse. He, he, he found the Messiah and he brought his brother to the, to the Messiah. I found him. I want you to find him. I found something wonderful. I want, I want you. I was, I was, we were studying this passage, a few of us, earlier this week. I was hanging out with Alex. And he's like, yeah, I mean, anything that you're excited about, you want to share it with people. Like, like if, if you find like a squirrel video online and you think it's really cool, you want to share it with people. Like, I found it. I want you to find what I found. And he's like, maybe you can't like preach that or whatever. I'm like, no, that'll preach. Um, <laughs> true story. But that's the enthusiasm that they had. Like, we have found the Messiah. And, and again, it's, it's hard to translate that into our culture because they had like 2,000 years and, and at least 1,000 years of like, we're anticipating a king in the line of King David. And even before this king in the line of King David, we're, we're anticipating a prophet. We're anticipating somebody who's going to fix everything that's broken. And they understood that this was him. And some of you guys, you know, some of you who've come to faith more recently, and, and you're still kind of in that early stage of seeing God turn your life upside down. You know, there's that exact same deal. Like, I got to tell you what I found. Because I want you to find what I found. Because Jesus is amazing. And being a part of his people is amazing. And, and you got to get what I got. That's the feeling that they have. This, this, this idea of treasure. The next day, Jesus finds Philip, which, which again gives you a little bit of a sense of what Jesus treasures. The next day, Jesus finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. Then Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth the son of Joseph. And then soon Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. We have found you. And they talk about this finding and being found with these loud declarations and this excitement about whom they have found. And again, it's, it's, it's a lot like um, what we see expanded in the other Gospels, where Jesus gives this, this little parable and he talks about the kingdom of heaven and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy he went and he sold all that he had and he bought the field. Okay? So in this passage, again and again, we see the, the early followers of Jesus, they are treasuring Jesus. And we also see this kind of ancillary thing that, that like Jesus, they're treasuring the people around them. Or they're like, man, if I have Jesus, I'm not keeping him to myself, I want you to have Jesus. And again, that is beautiful. And 
it offsets the training element. Like the training can be hard. Like if all I if all I preach to you is, hey, this is going to be really hard. You know, some of you guys might not come back this next week. Okay, but but if it's training and following Jesus is going to be really hard, but who cares because Jesus is our treasure and Jesus is amazing and Jesus is changing me. And like like last week I was kind of like pushing back and it was kind of a lousy weekend. Like this week I'm like leaning in and, and, I, and I'm surrendering my desires and I'm surrendering, you know, just, just kind of the conflicts in my heart and all of this stuff. And, and I'm truly leaning in to follow Jesus and what a joy. Like, even if the week goes terribly, there's just so much more joy in following Jesus than in rebelling against him. Amen? And when we see that, it makes us lean in. And when we can encourage each other in that reality, it's like, you know, it's like a team sport. Um, Very few of us run alone. And I know there's some of you crazies out there that are like, oh, I'm a runner. I just get up and I just run alone. But man, if I'm going to run, I need somebody to run next to me. And if I'm going to run fast, well... You know, we need to pray or something like that, um, genuinely. But isn't it a joy to train with other people and to have that camaraderie and say, yes, there is this goal. You know, not to get like a cheap plastic trophy that's going to be tossed in the closet or a medal that nobody's going to care about in five minutes. But when the prize is Jesus and we train together to follow him, there's joy in that. Amen? All right, so we've, we've, we've talked about training, we've talked about treasure. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is transparency, and we see this in expressions like come and see. When the first disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus simply replied, come and see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. I want us to see in this passage that Jesus isn't some charlatan that comes and says, trust me. Jesus is the guy who says, come and see. Welcome to my home. Open the closets, you know. There's no dirt. Find find what you want to find. And I want us to understand that this is, this is the model for Christian discipleship. It's not just what that Jesus says, come and see, but In this story, we see one of the earliest followers of Jesus. We see Philip putting these words on his lips. When when Nathaniel, when he tells Nathaniel about Messiah, Nathaniel's kind of skeptical. He's like, Nazareth, that's like the wrong side of the tracks. That's like Ipsy. Like, can anything good come from Ipsy, you know? And for some of you guys who love Ipsy, I live in Ipsy, I love Ipsy too. I'm just saying that there's that impression out there, right? Okay, but when Nathaniel is skeptical, you know, Philip isn't like, oh, just trust me, it's going to be fine. He says, come and see. Man, you got, you got questions? <laughs> I'm probably going to have questions too. Right now I'm just crazy excited. Like I don't even have questions. But, but, but come and see. Let's figure this out together. And it's both come and see the Messiah. Come and see the gospel. Come, come and see God's grace. But it's also, it's also come and see the community of faith. The idea that, that we have in this passage and in this phrase, come and see, this, this idea of transparency is that we are the people who are apologetic and the way that we see other people come to Jesus, it's not so much because we argue them into the kingdom of God or because we have the clever turn of a phrase or anything like that, but it's because we love them towards Jesus. We welcome them into our lives. Um, some of you guys like have have a background in, in foster parenting. 
And that's like one of the metaphors that we use in the church. We talk about being a family, a family that wants to foster or to adopt, a family that's always saying, yeah, yeah, come on in. Come and, and yeah, we understand that there's some distinction that, that some of you guys, some of you guys are family. And some of you guys, you're, you're not really family yet, but, but we are going to love you like family. And we're going to invite you to come and see. We're going to invite you to um, come into our lives, come into our family, come into our living room, come into the community of faith. And it's going to be the way that we love one another and the way that we engage with one another that we are trusting to be the means that God uses to convince the outside world of the reality of this God that we serve. Because as people come in and share relationships with us and they come into this community, hopefully they see the kind of relationships that they aren't finding elsewhere in the world. You know, they just see the kind of relationships that that make them scratch their head and say, what gives with you people? Why do you share your money the way that you do? You know, like... Like when somebody's car breaks down, it's, it's not just on them that, that they're just alone and they're desperate and what are we going to do? No, there's like, there's like people who step in and help and, and when you need help with your kids or when you need help with whatever, you know, they just, they just love each other and they care for each other and they forgive each other. You mean some of you guys have been in a relationship for like more than a decade? How do you do that? Don't you hate each other by now? Haven't you, haven't you like, you know, aren't, aren't you tired of each other? Like we don't even do marriages for that long and, and you guys, you're... You, you, you don't even have anything in common. You, you aren't even voting for the same people in the election and let, yeah, you love each other? What is wrong with you guys? Don't you know we're supposed to hate the people on the other side of the aisle? Come and see. Come and see what's so weird. Come and see the transformation that God is already bringing about. Here's the beautiful thing about come and see. Come and see is scary. That level of transparency is scary because every single one of us knows truly how jacked up we are. You know, like if you just kind of pull everything back and, and other people could look right into your mind and right into your heart and see all of you, like, well, that's not compelling. But what is compelling is the grace of God even in the midst of our failure. You know, that we are the people who invite people into their lives, into our lives, so that they can... Again, invite people into our families. How rare is it to like have a stable family in our culture? How rare is it to have like healthy, God-honoring relationships permeating that thing? How beautiful is it? And yet it's scary. Because if you spend enough time in your in my house, you know, you're gonna see me get impatient and like shout at my kid. That's gonna be terribly embarrassing. And what do we do with that? You know, we just remember, hey. And, and we tell each other, we remind each other, we remind the outside world, I'm not the hero of the story here. You know, Jesus is in the process of transforming me from the inside out, and I still got sin, I still got wickedness, I'm still a fool. But, but I'm not so hung up on my failure that I can't invite you into my life, because I genuinely believe that I serve a God of grace who has died for my sins and who has forgiven my sin and who welcomes me into his kingdom, not because I have some great merit or I perform well, but he welcomes me in by grace. And that grace is available to you as well. Amen? And so, empowered by the gospel and, and truly believing the gospel, we're free to be transparent. We're free to invite people into our lives. We're encouraged to, to invite others to come and see. 
And by God's grace, they will see things that are good and that are to his glory. It's been great to launch the second service and to be um, re-engaging the college community more aggressively. Because one of the things I loved so much about college, and this feeds into extroversion a little bit, I just loved that there were like 24-7 evangelism and discipleship opportunities. I loved that, like, aside from maybe from about 3.30 in the morning until, well, whenever I woke up that morning, um, you know, there, like most people were asleep. I was usually like the last one asleep in my dorm. Um, but, but I was that because I could love people towards Jesus like all day long. You know, I could basically invite people to, to, to come and see all day long. And, and again, I recognize that like that's a season. Um, but, but what a joy it was to, to do life with people who are far from God and don't have any interest in God and don't know anything about God and I can love them towards him. Or people who are like kind of partway in and on the fringe and checking things out and maybe coming out to our ministry and clarifying the gospel. And then to have those other people that, again, we're just training with and we're locking arms with and we're treasuring Jesus together and we're, 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 we're going on this, this crazy mission together and we're being mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, it was... It was beautiful. It was, it was wonderful. And the thing, I know that that's a season and that that's not every season. That's not most of our season right now. But the nugget that I wanted to get out of it is that it was intensely life on life. And in a thousand different ways, in ways that, that fit our individual careers and schedules and um, life seasons, one of the things that we want to be looking for is these life on life opportunities. You know, it's probably not going to be a three-year camping trip with Jesus. Um, but where are the opportunities that we have to invite people into our lives? Invite people into our relationships. Invite people into our community. Again, to explicitly or even just implicitly say, come and see. You know, how can we, how can we do life with other people? So those are some of the hopes. Those are some of the categories. Again, we see phrases like, um, like follow me, and and out of that we get this process of training, and we see um, we see phrases like we found him, and out of that we we see how how they treasure Jesus and how we can. We see phrases like come and see, and out of that we see transparency. Um, but all of this really drives us to to a single question: like, are we going to be the people? who are asking God to transform us and who are asking God to use us to transform others. You know, are we going to be the people who throw off all of our preferences and at least make secondary all of our own personal goals and ambitions and desires and say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want you to change me. I want to follow you for the purpose of becoming like you so that you can use my life to change lives of thousands of people around me, all right? That's the question, that's my prayer, that's our hope, amen? Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would light a fire under us um, to see the beauty of what we have found in you. Um, God, I would pray that we would be the sort of people who are winsome and who are aware of the people around us and who are, um, 
who are sensitive to where they're at and how they're built and, and what they might be ready to hear. But Lord, I pray more than that, that we would be the people who, um, who are sometimes socially awkward because we are just so excited about what we have found in you. Um, God, I pray that we would genuinely be enjoying you this week. I pray for those who are stagnant in their faith, who are struggling, who are maybe a little bit disillusioned. Like, yeah, I, I just, I've enjoyed following Jesus at times. I'm not really enjoying it right now, or I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tied up in other things right now, or I don't know how this fits. Lord, I pray um, yet today that we could have conversations about that. And I pray that, that those who are struggling to follow you would find in this room many people who would be gentle and who would be tender and who would be sensitive and, and who would be able and eager to just listen and to understand and to pray for and encourage. Lord, I pray that, that this afternoon and the time after this service can be a time of gentle training and, again, of just mutual encouragement in each other's faith. Um, God, I, I just pray in this coming week that, that we would be walking into every room looking for people that we can love towards you, looking for opportunities to invite them into our lives, into our community, and implicitly or explicitly to say, come and see. And God, I pray that that those individuals would see good things for your glory. Amen.